Hello, everyone, and uh, thank you for tuning in to our second episode of Adorium Conversations. My name is Marcus Watson, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Adorium. Um, for those of you who don't know Adorium, we're a global friendship network of business leaders, investors, entrepreneurs, and, and philanthropists. Uh, we believe in human relationships um, in a disintermediated world. Uh, we create events in London, Zurich, and other cities around the world to bring our community together and to have meaningful discussions and, and talk about uh, important issues. Um, so welcome everyone, and uh, welcome uh, Sarah Milne-Rowe, who's our guest today. Um, Sarah is a uh, leadership performance coach, an author, a speaker, founder and CEO of Coaching Impact, and the creator of the Shed Mythology. Um, so Sarah, welcome, and thank you for joining us on the Adorium Conversations video podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. It would be great to, you know, to hear from you as to what your background is um, and, you know, how you started this business and um, exactly what it is that you do. Okay. Well, maybe I should start from um, a passion of mine from a very young child. So I, I sort of loved dancing. I loved the violin. I loved anything to do with performance from a very young age. And, um, and that was useful because there were many teachers that I came across through that evolution of becoming better at the violin and, and becoming a better ballet dancer. And it was those teachers that inspired me to keep pushing myself to be better. Um, and so I did become better at quite a young age at both of those things. And I just thought, well, that's fantastic. What a great job to be a teacher. I, I want to be a teacher. So um, I started off my career as a teacher. And I wanted to teach in very challenging comprehensives. And I knew that I also wanted to teach um, 11 to 18 year olds. So for the first 12 years of my career, that's what I did in um, three different schools in London. And it was during that time that I became really intrigued, really about myself, because I was thrown in the deep end on many occasions, as I'm sure you can imagine. I actually call my time teaching as sort of my MBA in in self-management, self-leadership, uh, yeah, because that. there were many, many times where I had some very stark, rude awakenings as to, you know, how the hell do I get through this? Um, but actually, it was a rich, rich experience for me. Um, and it was during that time, and it, it was one specific thing, actually, that I became really intrigued with, and that was more as a, as a tutor of young people rather than a subject specialist. And... Um, and I'm sure you remember when you were at school, if you, if you misbehaved, you were put on a report. So we had this report system where if kids misbehaved, they were put on report. And as a tutor, um, I had to check their reports at the end of each day. And what became really interesting to me was why one child who was standing in front of me at that time in five periods during the day could be, say, brilliant in three lessons and then an absolute uh, travesty in two other lessons, according to the teachers. Um, and I just became very intrigued with that as to what was it that a teacher could do to bring the best out of somebody um, and a teacher could do to obviously bring the worst out of somebody. And what was the responsibility of that dynamic between the learner and the teacher or the leader of the classroom? So um, for about a year, I did an informal uh, study, check with myself really, to, to ask these young people what was it that made them want to learn. Or what was it that made them want to turn up to work with these particular teachers? 
Um, and they told me through this sort of, I mean, they told me many different stories, but, but I sort of got it down to three key things, which really sit at the heart of a lot of the work that we now do with leaders in business. Um, they told me that they wanted to learn and wanted to bring the best themselves with teachers that were passionate about their subject. And they described that passion in, in really many different ways from, and it wasn't necessarily all singing or dancing, but it was clearly contagious and, and they wanted a bit of it. And I think, you know, I, I can remember teachers that did that to me and most of the people that I work with have got one model either from school or in their life where someone's passion has ignited them. So that was something in there that there was something in there around how do you, how do you as a leader really connect with passion? The second thing they told me was they really wanted to go to lessons where they felt that the teacher and they knew actually the teacher was going to do something interesting and useful with the content uh, variety or vary their lessons so it wasn't just all worksheets or all the same books they want because they went because they thought that the teacher would do something creative with the content and that excited them before they even got to the lesson it, it compelled them to want to go and the third thing which i think is probably the most profound for me anyway was that they wanted to go and learn with teachers where they felt seen and they felt significant and they felt heard in some way and and this was quite a strong skill i think think for teachers in in, in certainly in the schools that i was working with because you had three or you had on, on the whole 30 odd people in that lesson with very different backgrounds different different challenges often very challenging backgrounds and those teachers were understanding enough about those individuals for those individuals to feel that they were seen and heard and that there was an expectation of being better or that they could actually be better. And, um, and those three things, sort of passion, uh, innovative content, not the sort of same old, same old, and being seen, heard, recognized, and pushed actually, because that was the other combination in that third bit was these, these teachers had a knack of seeing them and also expecting something of them um, that, that felt really too useful just to stay with leading in classrooms. And so it was that coupled with the fact that it was my first, I found myself pregnant with my first child. So it gave me a natural break away from teaching, uh, to sort of reassess and think what else could I do with this? Because whilst I am always, I am actually a teacher at heart. I, education is, is a real passion of mine. And we'll talk more about that. I'm sure later, but, but it gave me the opportunity to think around how those three sort of nuggets could be useful for leaders wherever they were in the world and that yeah, hence no, really was the evolution of coaching impact <laughs> so why did you then or how did you then move into into leadership coaching how, how did that kind of evolution happen so you say you left teaching when you when you got pregnant yeah so there were a couple of things that were going on at the same time and I ran um, a class in the evenings actually for adults um uh, before I, I left to have my first child and it was it, because my, my drama background I just did a sort of adult drama class and I found that many people were coming to that <clears throat> class from business to actually uh, wanting more impact either in conversations or in presentations or various uh, sort of specific work related impact that they were after um, and so that was a, a useful segue really out of to get out of the classroom and into um, business was to initially go in to help individuals and teams be more impactful, have more impact. And it was during that that I found out that I discovered that actually there, there were different things that people needed. Um, and so I then spent like a couple of years uh, in my own professional development, becoming an accredited coach, understanding a little bit more about 
um, the science of performance, um, learning from high performers in different walks of life. And so that sort of grew um, the essence of Coaching Impact, where we now have a team of performance coaches where our emphasis is on practice uh, and um, doing the leader. You know, how do you learn through doing? Um, that's at the heart of what we now do with very senior leaders and teams to help them sort of achieve what they want, learn faster. So that was a real, real connection to what all of us from um, high performing backgrounds come from. There's a real key element of learning that's involved in improvement um, and also live well, grow stronger and live well. So that's sort of the balance of what we are now trying and, and that's our intent with most of our clients is to help them keep learning fast, keep achieving what they want and keep living well, staying strong. Leaders that we work with are trying to, or the ones that we really enjoy and working with are the ones that want to be better. So most of the conversations we have with people, they want to be better at something. And that can vary, obviously, um, in terms of the area that they want to put effort around. But, but I think, you know, a leader's role is, is really to, to present a compelling, incredible sense of direction and mission and purpose. Yeah. Um, and then be able to create the conditions for those people um, to, to do their best. And that normally involves giving them um, enough clarity and also some useful energy to enable them to basically get into action and learn as they go. Um, and, and I think the great leaders have the ability to understand how to get the best from a variety of different people. Um, and they're open about their own learning, too. Uh, and are open to feedback. So I think there's a, a variety of sort of ingredients in leadership. So, so what right now, what are you advising your clients to do in this, in this kind of crisis period in terms of how, you know, how, how they lead their businesses, how they deal with employees, how, how, they, how, they, how they survive, giving them the best chance of surviving? So it's varied. Um, I would say at the moment we're talking to leaders who are either trying to um, really redress massive um, loss in their business and they're having to are fearful themselves and are having to lead frightened people. That's one massive challenge that's mm. very current for many people right now. Um, or they've been hit with um, a surge of um, requests and need um, particularly, you know, food deliveries and, you know, businesses that were thriving before, but now are in high demand and haven't got the resource to fulfill the demand. So there's a different pressure there. Mm. Um, and, and it's helping leaders. Well, actually, it's interesting because we've got two ex-Marines in our, in our, in our um, unit of performance coaches that have become invaluable over the last, well, generally in the development of some of the practices that we that have emerged from the way that we work with leaders. But at the moment, it's incredibly helpful talking to them to understand what, you know, what are the key things that matter when you're leading people through uncertainty, massive uncertainty in a high pressure, high stress environments. Um, and so we're, we've been helping leaders sort of pay attention to five key things, which is number one, um, what's your intent and your aim? And the bigger the overwhelm, the shorter the horizon. So it might just be, what do you need to do as a leader to get to the end of the day today? And that's a serious yeah. thing right now because some people are struggling just to get to the end of the day with the decisions that they're having to make. So um, what's the intent? What's the most useful thing you can do? Um, because the biggest antidote to stress is action. It's helping leaders to be really clear about what they can do and what they can enable others to do. So that's clear about their intent. Um, 
The other thing that's been very um, helpful for leaders right now is to set up their own sort of decision-making hub. So who are their sort of core decision-makers that need to be around them very quickly to enable them to, to grip this together? So some people are calling it leadership hub. Some people, I mean, the, the, the um, military and ex-Marines in our, in our team call it the old gold command, which is, you know, ha- what's the centre, the, the nerve centre that you need to have and check in with every day. Um, who are they? Where are they? And what's the rhythm and routine that allows you to touch base with them? Third thing is, um, what are the decisions that you need to make um, today, in the next hour, in, the, in, in this week? Um, and they often are bold decisions that people are having to make right now um, uh, or good enough decisions, right? I mean, in a way, three of the people I'm thinking that I've been talking to at the moment is what's the least worst decision that you can make? You know, yeah. it's like all relatively. <clears throat> um, and then the, the fourth thing is the whole communication uh, connecting element is is a really clear thing and I think a week ago we were getting into a bit of comms overload everybody was communicating and it was being fast communication without necessarily slowing down to understand what is the most useful communication when is the most useful communication um, how do you want to deliver it is that you know through video is it through email is it a quick whatsapp what's what's the most useful tone and quality for communication but it's actually become even more now this week about connecting Less about communicating, more about connecting, yeah. more about listening, understanding the, the, the sort of temperature of what's happening, either with your internal people or your customers or, you know, what, what's the need for listening right now? And in order to do any of those things, Marcus, the fifth point, which is really the, the first point as well, is look after you. So one of the questions that we're asking everybody right now is, how are you looking after you right now? Because there's so much stress in the system for people. Um, people are working, well, you know, people are working from home. Some people are working in corridors. Some people are, you know, have got their partner next door to them running one business whilst they're running another. Uh, the kids are being homeschooled. All the places where we used to have roles and responsibilities are merging into one place. Um, and it's putting a lot of pressure for people. Um, uh, yeah, so, so those five things. And, really and in important. terms of yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And, and what are the main tools that you kind of teach your clients in terms of, you know, managing managing stress? Yeah, you know, looking well, after themselves. Yes. So what we know about high pressure situations is we have a system in our brain, our, our sort of animal brains are in the shed method we call them the reptile and the dog. They are a faster system than your human brain. So a lot of leaders are having to try and make rational thought through decisions right now in a very high pressured environment uh, of one of which is uncertainty. And so this is ripe territory for your for your faster system in in your brain. So it pushes us and pulls us. And if you're not careful, bosses us to make decisions that are not as well thought through. And we need our human brain, our fantastic human brain, to come into these decisions. So we need all three brains, but, the, but, but when, you're, you, when you're leading in high stress and high pressure, it's an invitation for your fast brains to take control. And it does with great positive intent because it thinks, as you've just shared earlier on, Marcus, your background compelled you to do things fast and well 
to protect your family, to protect the fact that you needed an income, all those, you know, very sort of fundamental human needs. It's your fast brain listens to that. So it wants to work quickly. So one of the key things we're doing right now with leaders is helping them to take a moment of choice. What we know from the science is that our faster system has 0.2 of a second um, of a moment of pause to involve the human brain. So how are our leaders right now taking that 0.2 of a second? And one way of doing that is to recognize that your animal brains are bossing you and to really take that moment of pause. So first of all, recognizing it, clocking it, then have a moment of hesitation before you do anything. A fantastic, and you will be familiar with this if you meditate and you've done this work, is breathing. We are having to really drill our leaders on breath control, good breathing techniques, to resist the bossiness of the faster system. Then you're thinking, okay, what's, what can I control? You know, control the controllable. So in that moment of pause, as you're breathing, what's, what's one thing that you can do? And that might just be get up from your chair and take some air. That might be go and have something to drink. Go and have something to eat. Or it might be, you know, go and connect with someone that really boosts your energy. Um, Or it might just be remind yourself of what is your leadership purpose for the next, you know, one one week or three weeks. What's what would you really be proud about? Tell your children, your best friend, your mum, your dad about the way you have led people through this uncertainty. Connect the purpose beyond self-interest. Any of these things you can do in that moment of choice. But what's interesting is you almost have to have these things lined up outside of pressure to be able to deal with it in pressure. So having a mantra that enables you to connect with what fundamentally matters to you outside of pressure is worth almost having it on your screen or having it on your, you know, next to you or on your phone or some way to tap into a mantra that matters for you. It's about a bigger meaning. Um, All of these things really make a difference. I would say that you can, I love this phrase, Marcus, you can act your way into a new way of thinking as well as think your way into a new way of acting. Yeah. And too often the leaders are thinking, and actually what we want them to do is just move your body. If you are feeling stuck under pressure, shift your body, because what science tells us, it starts in the reptile brain, which is a physiological sensation you get before anything goes to your human brain. So follow the same chain, move. If I'm feeling uptight or stressed, just leaning back in my chair or standing up is the first point of shift. And it's helping leaders understand what is the most useful routine to get you out of what we call dog brain response and into a more aligned, um, in control human brain response. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. Um, I mean, I've I've found that what really helped me, it was almost kind of like a like a, a paradigm shift in terms of how how I led was just to think outside of my business my businesses my business interest what I was doing in business and you know think about you know things at a higher level in in the outside in the outside world and that's why you know I I support a number of charities and I and I do that in large part because because it helps me kind of be less kind of self-absorbed about my businesses and you know think about 
you know, the, the world at, at large, the world outside of, you know, what I'm doing. And, you know, when, 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 you, when you do work for charities and you, you know, you see kind of suffering, like real suffering, it gives you, it just gives you a perspective that yeah. actually what you're doing is, is nothing. It's just, you know, it's, it's not exactly. really, it's not really important. So that, so that, that kind of helped me, helped me massively and still does, you know, that's yeah, really, yeah. I try and spend 20% of my time you know, su- supporting, you know, charities um, that are important to me. And we do that for all of the, the team within Edoria. But, but it makes a, it, in my, in my mind, it makes a huge difference to how yeah. you, to how you lead. Yeah, we did, um, we did a project last year with some year 11 girls in, um, in a state school in London, um, because the, the, the deputy head had read the book and said, actually, our girls right now don't need any more content. They need they need some practices to enable them to manage pressure better in their exams. Yeah. Uh, would you be interested in working with us? I said, yes, absolutely. I mean, my two favorite worlds colliding, hey? Um, and and what, was, what really made a difference for the girls was to help them to think the bigger picture. You know, why, why who do you want to be? Why does this actually matter? You know, go, go beyond the exam, but, but actually go further out and think, who do I want to be in this world? Um, what do I want to be able to say to someone that really matters to me in 10, 15 years time, even 20 years time, even 50 years time? Um, what is the significance of what you're about to do in the bigger picture? Um, and a lot of it was about making my parents proud. It's often beyond self-interest that gives them an energy to actually um, deal with an impeding pressure moment. Um, and, and that's what we try to help them connect to fourth thinking I'm going into this exam to make a mess of it or I haven't done enough revision or I'm feeling exhausted or I haven't done as much as somebody else change the story change the internal story before you go into that exam to you know I've done something um I've got a a a nine in my mock or you know my my mum's going to be proud that I'm even sitting this exam and you know just a bigger bigger than you purpose can be incredibly helpful for people and it's the same now with with the leaders thinking about I was talking to a publisher a uh, few days ago and you know they, they've gone straight back to their mantra of his book is a book is for everybody and a book can change lives and now in this COVID-19 space a book might change somebody's life um, so yeah. let's link on to that um, another one was saying you know we're here to feed the nation that's our mantra right now is to feed the nation. It's not about how stressed we feel or the fact that we haven't got any resource or, of course, that is in the mix. But actually, in order to keep going and keep ourselves connected, uh, what's the joined up mission here? It's feeding a nation. Um, so finding that beyond self pro, uh, purpose is a very helpful moment for leaders right now, I think. Yeah, I mean, in the, when I was kind of a young kind of investment banker, a young, a young business leader, you know, one of the things that definitely drove me, in addition to my anxiety to to make money and, and and survive and be successful, was you know making making my dad proud of me. That was yeah. that was a huge huge driver. I mean, it still is today. You know, everything that I do, I just think would you know would would my parents um, would my dad feel feel proud of me? I mean, that's that's kind of really important. So it's a it's a kind of it's a great for me. It's been a great kind of focus. And and again, it takes you out of that kind of angst, that anxiety, that 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 kind of isolation that you often feel as a yes. as a business leader, particularly when 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 times are times are tough, when things yeah, are difficult. Yeah. Absolutely. So how how important do you think compassion is, and do you do you teach 
compassion are there any elements to you know to your teaching program that relate to it i think compassion is fundamental and i think it starts with compassion to yourself and i'm i'm noticing that particularly in the last 10 year 10 days not 10 years but 10 days that has been a really important lens to help leaders place on them because in this contagion of fear because not only we've got a, a contagion of a virus we've got a contagion of fear it's it's really important to help leaders to to, to recognize what they're doing and and the great things that they're doing and 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 how they are recognizing the moments that mean something to them or mean something to other people so compassion starts with yourself i think when you can be compassionate to yourself then you can be a much more compassionate leader for others um what we recognize is if there's a very hard driver or hard self critic from the leader they are less tolerant or compassionate necessarily with the people that they're leading so so how do you build the practice of compassion and i do think it is a practice um and you've you've named some of them there as you know meditation or or just the self talk that you might have but the the way that we help and support our leaders is to um well we often call them trophy moments moments of pride moments of um fulfillment um magic moments whatever you want to call them yay moments i've got a client that calls them yay moments they 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 where so attention goes where um energy uh, uh, energy flows where attention goes so if we're if we're we're helping leaders uh pay attention to their to 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 their own compassion but also what's successful right now so it's so easy at the moment to be telling a story of gloom and doom um it's so easy to hear it all the time so it's it's a it's a practice markus to to really mm. embed as meditation is a practice to be able to focus on the things that are working the glimmer of hope that's happening to so for some leaders who are having to furlough quite a few people or having very tough conversations with people right now it's helping them recognize how well they've done that um one guy that i was speaking to in hong kong last week he said he began the meeting just by saying how are we feeling and from that he recognized that they've gone from crisis because they're 8 weeks ahead of us in hong kong yeah. they've gone from sort of 6 weeks of crisis mode adrenaline high overload into extreme fatigue phase and it wasn't until he asked the question about how we feeling that he absolutely recognized just where people were um and so as a result of that they developed a thing called um refresh monday or recoup monday where people could actually just ask for monday back uh for themselves for their families for whatever they needed to um look after themselves and so that's now stood and it's a paid recoup refresh day that's um part of helping people stay um at their best and nourished yeah, no, that's a great idea yeah no, that's a that's a fantastic idea um just going back to uh to to anxiety is is do, do you see a lot of anxiety in the clients that that um that you have because again you know i've i've kind of started to to realize that actually anxiety is is what drives action i think you mentioned that um briefly earlier um anxiety is is the thing i i mean i think it can go two ways i think if you you can be too anxious and and be kind of frozen frozen yeah. with fear and not do anything but i've always found 
that anxiety for me it's kind of driven action it's the thing that's that's <laughs> made me do stuff and 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 make and make stuff happen i've i've had to learn that myself but i'd just be interested to know how you think anxiety plays a part in leadership and how how you how you teach your clients on how to deal with anxiety so i think there's um a way of recognizing um pressured challenge positive challenge and distressed challenge and each barometer each person has a different level of understanding when they tipped it from something that's very positive challenge so the stress or the anxiety whatever we call it is actually propelling you to be better um, and that's very positive challenge but there's a very steep drop from when you can get to that point and then you tip down the other side and it becomes anxiety very uh, distress actually hopelessness yeah hopelessness yes and um and that barometer is very different for each of us it's a muscle dealing with challenge i think and when you're out of practice it it, it makes it harder to um well your your barometer of positive challenge re- reduces so part of our our um our skill is to recognize where the client is in front of us um and how are they recognizing when it's gone from positive challenge to uh, demotivating hopelessness or paralyzed behavior and the anxiety is not helping them. It's actually hindering them and probably also spilling out and having an adverse effect on other people around them as well, because that becomes contagious. If a leader's anxious, we catch it and then it all yeah. spills no, out. I, in a I remember different way. it. I remember it well. I mean, I set up an internet company in, in my kind of mid, mid to late twenties and we ended up having you know, a couple hundred employees and a massive burn rate, as they used to call it there, where you're not generating any revenue, you're just spending lots of money. Yeah. And I had lots of periods towards the end of that of, of real, really kind of hopelessness. You just thought, yeah. wow, this is this is it. I I'm not sure I can kind of, I can get over this. And of course I did, but um, I, don't, yes. I, don't, I don't, I don't, I never feel like that now, fortunately. And I don't know whether that's something that, you know, you just learn to deal with better. As, oh. as you as you get as you get older, I actually, in many respects, I quite like that those those really kind of difficult challenges. They're they're often the things that make me think, mm. you know, laterally outside of the box, if you like, and 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 come up with come up with new ideas. But I but I do really vividly remember those periods of of, of hopelessness. Yes, you know, where you just think, Jesus, I don't know whether whether we're going to get whether we're going to get through this and and that is really your body telling you that you just need to regenerate and step yeah. away and recover for a bit and then return to it and what we know from high performance is that recovery is part of it regeneration is part of it um so it's you know sometimes i've had conversations with people this week where i've literally said you just need to switch off now you need to go yeah. and have a bath or go for a run or go, or go and run. meditate yeah. exactly whatever it is for you you need your regeneration practice do you know what it is? And this is what a lot of people are discovering is what is it? Um, and, and, and until you, I mean, you need to know it, basically. You need to know what yours is and you need to honor it. And often in these sorts of times, you curtail it or you dilute it or you neglect it completely. So a lot of our nudges is you've got to stay strong. Going back to the five points, you've got to be properly selfish and stay in a condition that, is in, that, that helps others lead themselves. Uh, you've got to be the model for that. And so there's a couple of questions, a couple of responses to your to your provocation here, Marcus. I think it's okay to have days where you're not okay. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, and I think it's everybody, really, everybody has that. 
but I think it needs to be um, shared and by the leader. And there's a lot of that going on at the moment. <laughs> yeah, there I'm is speaking, a lot of that. I'm speaking to CEOs of businesses that I'm an investor and shareholder in. And, you know, I see part of my job is just kind of chivying them up. Yeah. You know, yes. just, just being being positive because, yes. you know, they're, they're, they're in... They're at war, you know. They're in a yeah. they're in a battlefield. Yeah, you know they're fighting. Yeah, they really are. And it's and it's um and it's really distressing to to see them like that. But you know, I'm I'm hoping that I can you know give them some kind of positivity. So we're finding the the Stockdale uh, paradox incredibly helpful uh, on many of these. Do you know Do you know the Stockdale Jim no, Stockdale? No, no, I've heard so of this, it, but yeah, so, so, so a very a very um light description, but um um. He was um, a prisoner of war for eight years and he prevailed during that time. But many people who were also um, tortured in that time didn't. And um, it's in Jim Collins' book, you know, From Good to Great. There's some very good examples of, of, this, of, of the way he describes it, this. But I think um, one of the key ways is that he, he, he said he never lost faith that he would prevail in the end. And he had ways of connecting to that. Um, but he also said, never confuse that faith with the discipline of confronting the brutal facts. Yeah. So there's, there's a really interesting dynamic here about knowing that you will prevail, but not ignoring the brutal facts. And what he said is some of his counterparts who didn't survive um, were the ones that put, were, he calls them the optimists, the ones that said, I'm going to be out by Christmas or I'm going to be out by Easter. And then Christmas and Easter would come and they wouldn't be out. And that almost, I mean, he describes it as, break, uh, as dying of a broken heart because you put your, yeah, yeah, and you can sort that. of, and you can see, I mean, in a way, Trump's doing, had, was doing that. He was putting time limits on when we'll be out of it. And the problem with that is um, you, you, you have, you, you, you go for a false target. Yeah. No, I mean, it's disheartening, isn't it? Yeah. So, so I think part of this time that we're in now is, is finding your way of knowing that you will prevail. You don't know how long you're going to be in it, but, you know, you'll be stronger as a result of it. And he, he was very good at saying, well, you know, I, I will prevail because I will learn more from this experience than, than it will take from me. And, and in fact, that this is a lovely phrase that we learned. We, we, we've been working with um, Alex Anson, who if you might know. She's um, the, uh, the hockey captain of the BB team. And one of our team has been working very closely with her through her injury um, over the last 18 months. And she had a fabulous phrase where she said, I'm going to take more from this injury that it's, than it's going to take from me. And I find yeah. that statement now really helpful. I'm going to learn more from this crisis than it's going to take. I'm going to take more from it than it's going to take from me. And many leaders at the moment are finding that incredibly helpful. And, and Stockdale is a fantastic example of that. Yeah, uh, so no, it's finding that. these things that you can hang on to. Um, and so uh, one of the questions we're asking leaders at the moment is, what's your prevail statement? You know, we'll be stronger as a result of this. We don't know when it's going to end, but we will be stronger as a result of this. Or we yeah. will learn more from this time, even though it's tough, that will set us up to be stronger on the other side of it. These, are, these are all the messages that I'm, I'm giving the MDs and the CEOs or the businesses that, that, that I'm a shareholder in. And I mean, the other this, thing, this is one of, sorry, go on. Look, no, the other thing I would say to that, Marcus, is also what you're doing brilliantly is, is you're pointing, you're shining the light on the learning from it as well, the lessons from it. So I've had to sort of extract blood sometimes from some of the leaders this, this week to try and help them focus on what is working, 
what have they done that has actually moved this forward or moved the dial forward or just a conversation that they've had with an employee that has made a difference to that that human being in that moment and recognizing it and putting it in their sort of, you know, COVID-19 crisis cabinet, trophy cabinet, you know, the things that they can remember. Um, again, somebody in our team worked with C CNA when it shut down yeah. and closed. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. yeah, we just got that contract to work with them. Um, and of course, then they were closing all the shops. So therefore the whole, um, the whole intent was to enable those people and the, the wonderful mantra they came up with is to lead better rather than bitter. So how do we lead this moment of closing all these shops and enable our people to lead better rather than bitter? That was a fantastic mantra. Yeah. It just said something completely else, which was de-energizing um, and very draining. So I think that the leadership skill here is to be very, very purposeful and deliberate about what's the story I'm telling myself, appreciating that there'll be days when it will feel bad. But that too will pass, and and where where it will feel helpless. I mean, that's yeah, that's what I mean. In in the in you know week or so ago, I mean, time's going so quickly for me at the moment. I'm losing mm -hmm. an all all sense of time because I'm working. You know, I'm working. You know, from eight a.m. in the morning to kind of five six p.m. At, at night still, and um, yeah, I mean, it's um, yeah, it's it's there. There isn't. There was lots of helplessness. I think in the conversations that I was having, and that's kind of. People are kind of stealing themselves now yeah. and dealing with stuff and, and moving forward. But I, but I have seen a lot of that. I mean, what, one of the um, I love people who have been in the military. Yeah. I, I love I love how, you know, how they think. And, and, and this obviously comes from the experiences that they have. And I don't know yeah. what they you know, what kind of because I've never been in the military, but what, what their teaching and training methods are. But I love that kind of that stoic. Yeah. You know, well, there's that a stoic sense of themselves that those people have. I mean, we've had we've had quite a few people from the military speaking at our events. We had um, General Sir Richard Sheriff speak at an event a few years ago, and, and more recently we've had a guy who's become a friend of mine, a guy called Dean Stott. Who um, Dean's an amazing guy. He's ex Special Forces. Um, he was SBS rather than SAS. Um, mm. Incredible, just an incredible guy. His kind of motivation is just, just exceptional. And he, he was in, he was in the special forces. He had a terrible parachute accident, almost lost his leg, had to, um, had to come out of the military, uh, which was really tough for him. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, did some incredible things like evacuating the Canadian embassy in Libya single handedly and all those sorts of, mm. uh, all those sorts of jobs. Um, and then when I got a normal job and absolutely hated it, and it, one day his wife just threw the Guinness Book of Records at him and said, look, go and find something to do. And he ended up <laughs> cycling the Pan American Highway in under 100 days, having never really cycled before. But I, I just love that kind of can-do attitude mm. and drive that, uh, that a lot of military people have. And presumably they must make fantastic leaders. Or, it, or, or do you... Do you see it as being a very different skill set? I mean, I come across lots of people who have been in the military, have been very successful in the city, for example. But yeah, I is, think it, is it is it very transferable? Yes, I, I, and I think particularly in high pressure. 
So I think yeah, I, mean, I think now it's like because what what I'm you know what I'm in my my experience of pressure is just how do you manage yourself you know in in front of an audience or you know how do you manage yourself in a violin exam you know those sorts of things but this pressure is like life or death that we're talking about with these yeah. guys. I mean that's proper proper that's pressure. proper like pressure and in a way that's what we're facing. There's a life or death element to what we're all living through right now. So it's it's a fantastic base to come back to in my view. And what I'm understanding is it comes from drilling. You know, these things kick in through drilling. They're drilled and drilled and drilled. You know, cheerfulness in adversity is a fantastic phrase, I think, um, that mm. is drilled into them. Um, and, you know, how do, we, how do we now keep our humour and our faith? Um, there's some really key ingredients, I think, in these guys' experiences. When I say guys, I mean men and women, uh, that have been drilled so that they can deal with that sort of measure of pressure an element of pressure and also that you know we've got um somebody i was talking to in our team uh um general andy salmon who was you know saying that that part of the challenge is you don't know when the campaign's ending you know it goes on and that's what we're living in now we don't know when the end is but the skill of the leader is to keep chunking it in phases this is the phase that we're in right now is this the next phase we're in is right now at the same time looking over the horizon to see are we re- you know are we ready for what might be over that hill so in, in this sort of sense of perspective and deliberate intention is very inspiring I think um, yeah, but I, I do mean, think really your question is, really it, it does come from grilling I'm you know they're, they're meticulous with um with the precision of the drill is, and is that something that you teach your, we, you know, your clients. So we borrow for exactly that. We borrow from, this is why we call ourselves practitioners, that it's not about the, the theory isn't enough. We can know it and still not do it. So what yeah. we do is we are sitting in real life situations with leaders in their businesses, watching the way they work and performance coaching them in, in things like, you know, what's the intent before we start speaking? You know, what, how, have, you, have you done that? What's the learning mechanism post this meeting? How are you reviewing it? How are you banking what's working? How are you drawing the insights? And how is that going to impact how you run a meeting the next time, for example? You know, what's your communication? Are you clear about what the end, end game is? So these are all little, what we call high-performing practices, borrowed from all the people in our team who've come from high-performing backgrounds, be it, be it you know, sport, be it military, be it performing arts, but they are high-pressure situations. And what we all know is that we haven't got better at something without drill. So yeah. how do we in business or lead if we don't, if we haven't practiced it outside of the moment that matters? It doesn't make any sense to me. If we're not practicing it all the time and putting the effort in, it's not going to be as precise. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I mean, now, now you say it, that makes perfect sense. I mean, that's exactly what they do in the military, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, exa- it's exactly what they do in sport. Again, we've had quite a few people from professional sportsmen like um, Sir Clive Woodward speak at our events, and it is just about that kind of relentless drilling, that relentless training. Completely. And the moment that that really came true for me was in, you know, when I was 25 in my, in in a very, as a very young teacher in front of 30 year nine. So we're talking about 14, 15 year olds where it's in the book actually, but Wayne told me in no uncertain terms just how boring my lesson was in front of 29 other people. I, 
my whole body went into, I had a beautifully planned lesson, Marcus. I had been told how to do that. I hadn't been told how to react when somebody swore at me in front of 29 other young people who found it hugely amusing how to deal with that. The thing that rescued yeah, that me, and <laughs> the thing that rescued me was my violin breathing. So I'd been drilled in how to breathe to keep my hands still and play a grade eight piece in front of an examiner. And the way I did that was through managing my breath. And what clicked in without me having to think about it in that moment to give me that point two of a second to choose how to respond to Wayne was my violin breathing. And the reason that kicked in is because I had spent years drilling it. And I was That's so brilliant. grateful like for that, that moment. So grateful because otherwise I would have just blurted something. And in fact, it enabled me to have a transformational moment with that class that set it up for success because I just could take that pause moment. But it came from drill. Uh, right, Sarah, um, we've had a few uh, questions sent, sent through by the, um, some of the Adorian members. So if you don't mind, I will um, I'll, I'll, uh, pose some of those questions to you. Okay. Um, first of all, for those leaders who have to make people redundant in this, in this mm. period, how, how are you coaching your clients through that? How, you know, how would you propose that um, yeah. people manage that? Because obviously it's, it's a super tough thing to do. Yeah. And I, I think the primary response to that is to help them manage their own state. So helping them be in the best place to have that conversation. Um, so a lot of, in fact, I've rehearsed two or three of these conversations this week. So uh, that's the second thing is what, what, what do you need to be? Who do you need to be in this conversation? And how do you manage your state and prepare yourself so that you can turn up in the way that you need to be with this person or these people. Secondly, say it out loud before you're actually saying it. So um, I've said to three people this week, say it to me. Because there's a whole sense of feeling much more secure about how you want to say it when you can say it. It's, it's high risk strategy to say something for the first time in front of the audience that matters without any sense of hearing yourself yeah. say it so preparation so drilling yeah. again really yeah, yeah it is it really is um and then when you're in the conversation I, th I think there's something around separating the emotion from the reason yeah so being really that's clear very about, difficult yeah it is very difficult and that's why you need to prepare your state beforehand there's a lot of preparation before the conversation so again the dog brain's will here is to get through these conversations because i need to have them and i need to make sure that you know i'm doing what i need to do and Again, this goes back to slow down. What's your intent? At the end of this conversation, what do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do? Um, what do you, so uh, my little mantra is do, feel, know, actually. What do you want them to do as a result of this conversation? What do you want okay. them to feel as a result of this conversation? And what do you, therefore, do they need to know in, in this conversation? That's great. And, that's really useful. So that's what I would say. In Perfect. Terms of, no, thank uh, you for that. Question. Yeah, very, very, very useful. Um, also, we've got another one here. Who are your leadership inspirations and why? <laughs> well, there's many people that I could call on here for many different reasons, but um, I, I, I always go back to my mother for number one. And um, and the reason I look to her, and she's you know been dead a while now, but she's very much in my head, probably every day in some way or another. And um, I... She taught me to focus on what I could control. So even as a kid, the statement I remember the most is, is this worth worrying about, Sarah? Can you do anything about it? 
and it used to drive me mad but actually yeah. it's <laughs> because, but actually I know that one it's a yeah, good one it is a, <laughs> but actually it really still help, helps me when I find myself spilling worry energy somewhere uh, I've got a voice in my head about and I think great leaders do that they sort of help you focus on what you can control and to help you r- realize your potency in situations rather than you know what you can't achieve and she was brilliant at that um and she was a strong woman and you know that that's always helpful to be brought up with a strong woman i think when you're a woman um and the other one also is a woman that we talked quite a lot about men in our conversation earlier so i, I i'm pulling up two women in to, to answer this question marcus the other one is someone who um I got, I was made aware of about 10 years ago, and her name is Mimi Silbert, and she set, set up a company called Delancey Street Foundation. And she had the mantra of eat one, teach one, and she, she set up um, with just $1,000, I think it started. She set up this idea that um, drug addicts and you know, offenders would have a place to go where they would learn to be better in terms of living their life. And why I love this woman is that it was focused on action. So everybody, when they came and arrived, it would be one of the person, someone already in the Delancey Foundation would teach one. So, and she wanted them to um, wear a tie, for example, is one of the things that she wanted them to do. And you had to teach them how to do it. But it was all through, again, potency. It's a very meaningful word for me, potency. And uh, she set this up. And as a result of this, I think there are now 20 businesses been set up from this entrepreneurial sort of uh, energy that she produced an environment and a community charity where everyone supported each other to be better. And she was very strict about it. But as a result, it's now a thriving community of mini businesses. Um, So I think that's fantastic leadership. Yeah, fantastic. Great. Thank you. Um, another one here, which um, which is which is of interest to me. What is your view on how Boris Johnson is leading the country right now? Oh, what a question! So, I I think anyone leading the country at the moment, it's a tough job, right? So, um, it's it's very tough to lead in an unknown climate. But I think what he's demonstrating is putting his voice behind his best bets. But I think what he's doing brilliantly is he's surrounding himself with experts. And I really respect that, that he's listening. He's listening to experts, particularly the science. Um, I, I think what he's doing really well, or his team are, is a regular communication at the same time every day. So what we do know about managing um, environments of uncertainty is people, humans gravitate towards patterns in order to get some sense of certainty. So again, this is a message that we're using with leaders as well is what's the pattern of communication that is a regular pattern that people do feel, okay, that's a certain moment. We know that if we turn our radios on at a particular time, we're going to get an update. So I really um, think that's great. And and also it's it's a pattern in the um, in the mantra. Um, stay at home, stay safe, you know, look after our NHS. There's a sort of free beat pattern in there. So I think he's doing that yeah. very, very well. Um, in terms of how I think, well, and again, this is a difficult choice, but I think there's just more clarity earlier is what I would say, uh, not just in what we possibly could have done earlier, but also in the messaging. So just what, what it, what's really struck me listening to him and his team is the idea of things like, essential travel opens up a whole sense of what's not clear 
what what demands mm. essential travel, what demands um, an essential business. Um, so it it just it just reminds me of the importance when leading through crisis around the accuracy of the language in which you use and clarity and the clarity. Yeah. So no, um, I, I would agree with that. Those would be the points I'd pick out from the way that Boris is is currently leading the country. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, and finally, what have you learned um, being in isolation? Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I actually just there, can I just go back to a Boris point for a minute, Marcus? There's yeah, something of course, that is yeah, in my head about the there is something, and I don't. This is an unformed thought. Actually, actually most of the things I've just shared there are unformed. But there's something that I would love personally from Boris is a little bit of vulnerability. So, for example, I. I think there's a there's a moment and there's a moment in these times where just a bit of sort of honest personal uh, reveal becomes incredibly important about building trust and humanness. And I think Boris, yeah, there's just something in Boris and his team that I would just love a little element of that. It's a that's a difficult one. I know that's a difficult one to get because I because I've you know I've thought about that a lot and I think about it in the context of how how I lead and you know it's I think if you're leading a country through through a period of crisis you know how vulnerable do you want to look because people want to see you as being you know that stoic you know and obviously he wants to he wants to be seen as a kind of Winston Churchill type thing yeah obviously he's he's kind of his his hero so it's a, it's a difficult one I, I agree with you I, I prefer leaders to be you know to be a bit to have a bit more humility um but it but you know the flip side is you want your leaders to look as if they're in control of their own emotions not yeah and know, I, but I, I think apart. Uh, but sometimes I think vulnerability and honesty gets bad press in that regard, Marcus, because I don't think it is about uh, being. I, I, I agree with you. 100, 100%. I think it's just a little like glimmer into who are you, which doesn't in any way negate um, the fact that he's in control or, you know, that he's any, any of that. I just there is a balance. And I just think there's something in there that, that would for me personally yeah. would would matter. I think he does look a little bit vulnerable just because he's so disheveled all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's not your you're not your kind of typical looking leader, is he? No. But um but anyway, no, thank you for that. That's that's um yeah, that's really insightful. Um so yeah, going going back to the last question, because yeah. um I know you've got to get back to work. Yeah. I've probably got a gazillion emails that I need to respond to too. Um what have what have you learned through this period of isolation? I think it's it's forced us to pause um, and it's forced me to pause. Um, and I, I suppose it's, it's done a couple of things, really. Um, some useful and some less useful. I think it's reminded me of how important conversation is. So we've had, as a family, some cracking conversations in this time because we're all in the house and no one can disappear. Um, and we've sat round tables and we've eaten. It sort of returned us back to some basics, which I know everyone's saying, but it really has profoundly reminded me of some fundamental basics of sitting round a table and not rushing and speaking and eating and listening to one another. Um, and so that's been one. Um, I've, I've been 
I've really connected back to the power of stillness. And like you, I meditate and I don't have to meditate at a particular time in order to get out to a particular meeting. Um, so it enables me to um, sit with that for longer, um, to be able to sit in the garden and know and look at the garden. Right. Like I've been in the garden, but I was just saying to Chris, my husband, I was saying, but I'm really noticing things about the garden that I hadn't even noticed before or noticed yeah. things about, you know, just things that I've lived familiar. I've, been, I've lived alongside in this house for over 15 years, but I'm noticing things that I don't normally notice. We're going into rooms that often we don't go into. So this is that's that's been um, really interesting about just the pace. And your, your point about whether we will return to that. I think it's a really good question. Someone asked me yesterday. Do you think that if it all stopped tomorrow, we would hold on to some of the great qualities of the way that we're operating now? And I actually said, I'm not sure we would. I think it has to go on a little bit longer for a habit to really last. I think if it changed tomorrow, Marcus, we'd all go hurtling back in possibly to the way that we've always operated. I think there's something about how long this goes on for that's going to be significant to human behavior change. Potentially. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I have loved is the eight o'clock getting on your doorstep, shouting and clapping to the NHS. Yeah, no, and I it, love that. And it's, it's just great, reminded it? me of the power of just a simple ritual mm. where you start to see people in the road. I mean, last Thursday in our road, it was it was good, but but last night it was like three times better in terms of the level of noise, the amount of people that are on the street. So I'm just really enjoying that that ritual and and this sort of collective purpose of that. And I I want more of that in my life post this crisis. Yeah, the world needed that. The world one hundred percent needed that. And it and it makes me just really value the people that are keeping this country going right now. Are the people that are on the whole get paid the less and are least recognised on the whole. Yeah, and that that has to to change. In my that's exactly it's exactly I think we talked about it earlier. It's exactly what Snae said. He who spoke on the last yes the last Adorian conversation. It's exactly what he said. You know, he didn't want actually one of his kids to go into medicine, but he does now because he's yeah. just you know he just said it's just I mean how rewarding is yeah doing that job, looking after people, caring about people, being compassionate yeah. about people. It's you know, how much more important is that than moving money around? Yeah, absolutely. And teaching for me, it just, you know, there are people that are still teaching because people are working for the NHS. You know, it's like it's it's so vital that we have brilliant people in in our as teachers and as and in our hospitals. So that has to we have to do something with that. That cannot disappear. Um, And just to throw one last thing that (laughs) into the mix here that I have been introduced to in this self-isolation is bananagrams. Do you know this game? So we now, we've gone back to board games, although this hasn't actually got a board. This is this is Scrabble on the carpet or Scrabble oh, on yeah, the yeah, table. No, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Yeah, oh, my God. Well, we have a little competition that starts after supper every night, or we just sit around and we play banana grounds. We have the best of three. And I love that. And it's what I used to do when I was a kid. And again, it's that basics, but love it. Banana grounds has got to remain in my life. Post COVID nineteen, it's back. You know, it's back to basics to a large yeah. extent. I mean, you know, the flip side is we're using a lot more, a lot more te- technology, but we're using technology in a good way. You know, to connect yeah. with people, make sure people are okay. Yes, um, you know, spread positive messages. But yeah, no, I think yeah, there's there's a lot of positives to come from this. 
100 percent and um and i and i you know i really i believe in humanity and i think i do too. yeah we 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 will come out of this better better we will. society that's a good place to um to finish off sarah thank you so much for talking to us today thank you to cam talks for producing the show for us thank you